Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped through the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, I run to win that which Jesus Christ has already won for me. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride and I run straight toward the goal to win the prize that God's heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. In order to finish strong, you must maintain your direction, your discipline, your faith, and anticipate your reward. And now for this week's message. Today we're going to be talking about leaders that finish strong. Cheryl and I were talking about it last night, thinking about the message and going over it. And one main name that came to mind, and probably for you as well, would be Billy Graham. There's a guy who's 94 years old and still going strong. And I look at his life and I say, how did he do it? How, did, how are you 94 years of age and you're still strong, still passionate, and really raise the bar for other leaders to, whether you be in ministry or not in ministry, here's a Christian leader who really has done it right. What did he do? How did he run so strong the race in this decade, in the previous decades? How did he do it? Well, we looked at it, and a couple things about Billy Graham. One is he had good friends around him. And I know uh, the singer Cliff uh, Barrows and some of these others that were with him, he had a great group of guys that journeyed with him. And I think to finish strong, you need good people to run with you to the race. And, and it, it takes a certain amount of effort to have great people in your life. I was listening to this talk recently, and they were talking about this. And uh, the, the person asked the, the guy who was being interviewed, he says, well, how do, you, how do you get good friends to walk with you? Like, and he was married. He says, well, my, I have my wife. He says, how do I have other guy friends walk with me through life? How do I do that? Practically, how do I find those people? I'd like to have three or four or five really good guys like Billy Graham did, but how do I find them? And I was kind of surprised at the answer. I thought, hmm, okay, that makes sense. But he said, you have to date them. He says, I dated my wife to find out that she was the right one for me. And so I thought, I need some guys to go through life with me. So I said, you know what? I think that guy might be a good person to journey with me. That guy might be. So I sat down, had a coffee with them. Do they really care about me? Is our surface conversation just surface? Or is this somebody who could really walk with me through life? I thought, that's so practical but really helpful. You have to take effort to get people to walk with you through life. And when you study the life of Billy Graham and others, they were intentional about having other uh, walk with them through life. And I think even though you're married, you still need guy friends to go through with your life. Or you need, if you're a lady, you need women friend to go with you through life. You need others to journey with you to finish strong. Uh, I thought, well, what else about Billy Graham? What else does he, has he done that he's been strong and, and finishing strong in life? He said in an interview, they asked him, do you have any regrets? And he goes, well, I do have a regret, and that is, I think I was too busy. I could have prayed more, and I could have studied God's Word more. I, could have, I should have done more of that. Okay, I can take that home with me. That's good. What else? Is there anything else that I'm thinking about? What, what did he do to finish strong? One of the things that he did is he had a wife that was his cheerleader. His wife, Ruth, was just so behind him, believed in him, and encouraged him. That makes a big difference to have somebody with you like that. 
And if, if you're not married, that doesn't mean you can't finish strong because other friends can come alongside you and help you finish strong. And often a relative is huge for that because they can really see your, your good and your bad and they can encourage you along the way. So that was another thing in his life. Uh, her grave marker, she's passed away, but her grave marker is kind of interesting. This is what's written on her grave marker. End of construction, thanks for your patience. You know, go through a construction zone, and when you're all done, they say, resume your speed limit, end of construction, thanks for your patience. Because during this life, I mean, we're always under construction. It doesn't matter how far along we are, we're still a work in progress. Amen? And that was her grave marker. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King on his gravestone is, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Even that great leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, was still, you know, as long as we're on this earth, we fight the good fight of faith. We wrestle with our enemy, Satan. We wrestle with the flesh. We wrestle against the, the temptations of this world. But, you know, when, when this fight is over, we're really free. To, be, to know Christ is to be free, for sure. But in heaven, wow. And that's what he had on his gravestone. Uh, here's an interesting one I came across. Frank Sinatra. You know what I thought would be on Frank Sinatra's? Grave marker, I thought it would be, I did it my way. That's what I thought would be on his, but it's not. On his gravestone is the best is yet to come. Who could argue that? The best is yet to come. There's a grave marker in Maryland, the cemetery. says, here lies an atheist all dressed up and no place to go. <laughs> There's another interesting grave marker, and this, was, this is from one in uh, Arizona. And it's a guy by the name of George Johnson. He's not famous for anything in life except for his grave marker. And uh, he bought a stolen horse. And in good faith, he, bought, he didn't realize it was stolen, but he bought this horse. And, uh, but the court didn't believe him, so they hung him. And uh, they realized their mistake, but it was then too late for Johnson. And so his resting place is in Boot Hill Cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona. And here's what's written on his tombstone. Here's li- here lies George Johnson, hanged by mistake, 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up and now he's gone. <laughs> 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 he's just famous for his grave marker, so there you go. Another thing that we saw as we thought about Billy Graham's life, another factor I think that helped him finish well was, or finishing well, he's still with us, is generosity. People that finish well in life are generous people. And people that tend to get older and, and hoard and are greedy don't finish well. So you can, that's not a you know, it's just some thoughts that we were, as we were preparing for the message. You know, there has to be a resilient factor as well to finish strong. Uh, resilience is the ability to, to bounce back after life dealt you a blow. And we've all had that. We all have tough times in life. We all are dealt surprises. And resilience is the ability not just to bounce back, but that that thing didn't break you. Instead, by the grace of God, you were healed. You went through it. But it doesn't stop there. Not for strong leaders. Because not only did you heal, overcome it, but you also use it as an inspiration to help others run well. I think that's a good definition of a resilient leader. Yes, I had a tough time. Yes, it just about broke me. But by the grace of God, I made through it. I'm better. I'm over it. And now I want to inspire as many other people that they too can be an overcomer. That's a great resilient leader. Boom. (laughs) Not sure where that came from. Anyhow. We want to talk about how we can finish strong. So a few points this afternoon. We won't maybe get through all of them, but number one, you have to maintain your direction. 
So if you're taking notes, the first point is direction. And you have to know basically where your final destination is. Do you know where you're going to end up? Do you know what life is going to be like for you at the end? Where are you heading? What's the end of your course? Next weekend, by the way, we have a marathon downtown. And I don't think it's going to affect really our church services. But the marathon ends just a little ways over here at Cole Harbor. And every marathon runner, they think about where does the race end? Where is the finish line? And you don't go into a race without thinking about the finish line. There was a marathon runner at the Pitt Meadow service. He's going to be in the race next weekend. And he was, we were chatting after the service about how he runs and how he looks at where he's going to be running. And, and sometimes once the marathon runner knows the track, they'll even, they'll even walk it. They'll think about it. I've heard of race car drivers. If they're driving on a race car track, they literally walk the course to know where it goes and where it finishes and what the finish line looks like. But in life, I find a lot of people really don't think about the finish line. We kind of think it's, you know, well, I, we kind of think maybe as far as retirement, you know, when I hit 65, okay, then I kind of retire or when I, my career comes to an end or my kids leave home or I get my degree and we don't really think about the finish line, the what's on your gravestone, really the finish line. It's kind of a sobering message, but folks, last time we checked, the mortality rate in Canada is still 100%. So guess what? We have to think about one day we're going to finish a race. And here's, here's the deal. We're living longer. We live about 20 years longer than they did 100 years ago. And so we've kind of had this mindset, okay, when I get to 65, I get that age, then I can kind of, kind of, you know, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to do a few holidays or retire. But I was just this couple this past week, and, and they were sharing how, she was sharing how her, her dad retired at 63. He had a good, good career and worked hard, and at 63, yay, I get to retire. He did some traveling and, and did some things, and then he was 73, and uh, and it's like, okay, now what do I do? And he's getting bored and he's getting restless. You can only watch so many episodes of Matlock. And he was just like, okay, he liked Matlock. Now what do I do? He's now 93. He's 93. He's miserable. He's bored. He's bitter. And he's complaining. His, his son-in-law said, if I ever am like that when I'm that old, just take me in the backfield and get rid of me because I don't, I don't want to finish life like that. But you see, he, his finish line was basically when he retired in a few years after that. And we have to think about, how am I going to finish? Paul, the apostle, said, I'm going to finish this race strong. I'm going to complete the course. I am going to give it my all. In order to finish strong, I know this sounds so simple, but it's so important. We have to know where's the finish line, what do I, I want my finish line to be like. And it's not at your grave marker, actually. It's actually when we get to heaven because there's a reward day coming for all of us where God rewards us based on what we did here. We don't get to heaven by our works, by what we did. That we get because Christ made the way for us, but the Lord does reward us for what we did for him here. And there's really that day coming. And Paul thought about that a lot. So you have to know the destination. That's important if you want to make it happen. In Canada, just to go back to the stat, in 1900, 5% were over 65. In 19, 
50, it was 8%. 1990 was 12%. By the year 2030, it's going to be 20%. And they expect by 2040, whatever, it's going to be like closer to 25%. Our trajectory as a nation is we're going to keep getting older and older and living longer and longer. So this is an important message. This is a life message. And really, the challenge for you today is, what's this really going to look like? And what, I don't care how old you are, there's some stuff you need to be doing right now today to prepare yourself to finish well. Hmm. A great example of how to finish well comes out of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and if you have your Bibles, just look over Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the Hall of Faith. And in it, you have these great people that finished well. Uh, it's, you know, it's sometimes just good to read people that finished well because it brings you an inspiration. Some of the people in the Bible didn't finish so well. The Old Testament kings, the kings of the Old Testament, a lot of them didn't finish well. They got bored with their life, had success, had their little kingdom, got bored. Some of them got jealous. Some of them left God. And some of them, they, did, they finished terrible. Actually, somebody did a study of the 300 leaders in the Bible, and about two-thirds of them didn't finish so well. So we want to learn from those who didn't finish well and then also learn from those who did finish well. How do I finish well? How do I do this? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is a great example. If you go through it, it starts off by talking, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Then you read down, it says, verse 3, by faith we understand. In verse 4, by faith Abel. In verse 5, by faith Enoch. And then in verse 6, but without faith. In verse 7, by faith. Verse 8, by faith. Verse 9, by faith. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. You get the message, by faith, the just shall live by Faith, right? So the way you finish strong is you have to live by faith. Faith is the key. These guys all finish strong because they had a great, tight relationship with God. Again, you look at somebody like Billy Graham. He had that going for him. It's fundamental to finish the race strong. Okay, now go to chapter 12 where it says, Therefore, we also, tying us into this picture, we're in this picture. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these people are watching from the banisters of heaven. They're watching you run the race. Now, is anybody running the marathon next, next Sunday? Here this morning? Okay, we have no marathon runners here today. How many ran the sun run? Anybody, any sun run? Okay, some ran the sun run. Now, now, you look around here. Some of us ran the sun run. A lot of us opted not to. None of us want to run in the marathon next week. Because, I mean, face it, that's a long ways to run. It's pretty painful. But anyhow. But guess, hey, hey, this race is no option. You're in it. Like it or not, we're in this race. And so we may as well. And you, you can't say, well, I'd like to come back and redo it because I'm not. You can't redo it. You, you, this, you get one try, one crack at this, one time, and we have to make it count for eternity. Amen. All right. <laughs> so like, why? This sounds pretty heavy, but it's the truth. I, I'm telling you the truth. We'll have, we're in the race, like it or not, and we've got to take our, our example from Paul and from others, and we've got to make a decision. I want to finish this race strong. And here we say, it says, so we're surrounded by these people who finished well. And it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin, weight and sin. You've got to lay aside the sin, obviously, right? Because that slows you down. That's baggage. But it also says the weight. You've got to lay aside some stuff that's not necessarily sin, but you've got to lay it aside. And you, between you and the Holy Spirit, you have to figure out what that is. 
Because Paul says, it's not that it's technically wrong for me to do it, but it's not right for me to do it. It's not, some things are just, you could say, and for some of us as well, I'm not going to lay aside because it's not immoral. I can keep doing it. But it's holding you back. It's weighing you down from running the race. It says lay aside every weight and sin which entangles you and ensnares you from running the race. And then it says run the race with endurance. Folks, I hate to break it to you, but it's not a 100-yard dash. 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. Life is a marathon. And we tend to live life in sprints. <sighs> get through high school. <sighs> okay, get through university. <sighs> okay, get my career. Sprint, sprint, sprint. And you realize, <laughs> this ain't a sprint. This is a marathon. And you're, you're in this marathon for life. Gordon McDonald's a great pastor and author, and he tells he was a long-distance runner and a runner, and when he was in high school as a track runner, he, got, he lined up for the 400 meter. And this guy beside him was a 100 meter champion. And he looked over at him and he said, may the best man win. He said to Gordon, may the best man win and I'll be waiting for you at the finish line. And Gordon McDonald, okay, whatever. And so he lines up before him and they get running. And this guy just takes off, this 100 meter yard champion. He takes off and he, he's running and the rest of the pack, they're all in second place trying to catch this guy. And he's out there. He said, but in the last lap, they noticed they were gaining on him. And all of a sudden, shh, he said, I passed this guy. I have no problem. And so I did, the, he said, I did the right Christian thing. I waited for him at the finish line. <laughs> and he says, his coach came over him. And he said, I'll never forget this life lesson. He coach came over, put his arm around him. He says, you just learned an important lesson. And that's this. Life is not a 100-meter run. Life is much longer than that. Pace yourself, and you can win the race. And as if we want to run and win, we have to remember we have to run with endurance. Verse 2, this is huge, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So our focus has to be on him because one day when we cross the finish line, we meet Jesus. I'll say that again. When we cross the finish line, we meet Jesus. That's what's at the finish line. When you run the sun run, you, you cross the finish line, you know where you finish. You're running the marathon next week, you, you'll end up over in Cole Harbor and you're meeting by some fans and so forth there. But when you run this race, the race that you're in, when you cross the finish line, we meet Jesus. He's who we keep our eyes on. And, and he too had to run, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we, we keep our eyes on him. And you know what? When you get to heaven, there's rewards that are given to you for the way you ran, for what kind of work you did. Not the quantity as much as the quality. The Bible says what sort of work will be tested by fire. If it seems like you did great things, but you just did it for yourself to be noticed, it goes up in smoke. But if you did it with authenticity for the Lord, it, it, there's a reward for it. Yeah. That you have forever. You know, when I was in high school, we had something in our school called the Blue and White Tournament. And it was a basketball tournament. We, it was a big event in our school. All these other teams came and played. And, and uh, I played my heart out that tournament. I was diving for every ball, trying to get every rebound. And I wasn't the highest scorer, but I just gave it my all. Man, I put everything into, the, into those games. And I was so surprised that I didn't win uh, a trophy. I thought I might get a trophy for the way I played that weekend. And I remember my best friend, Blaine, he got a trophy. And one of the other guys got a trophy. You know, the other tournament, they call everybody up for their hardware. And I thought, man, I'm for sure I'm going to get a piece of hardware. And I was kind of sat there disappointed. Oh, well, 
You know, I gave it my best. And then they said, and David Coop, you have won the MVP. And I was so shocked that I won the MVP for that basketball tournament. They called me up. It was the biggest trophy. And I took that home. And all the guys, Dave, you deserve that. And people came up and congratulated me. And, and I had this trophy. It was so cool. And I took it home and put it on my bookshelf and looked up there. and had, You know, and I carried it on my bookshelf for a couple of years. But honestly, right now, I'm not sure where that thing is. It might, be, it might have got lost to the move somewhere. But it's, it's all tucked away somewhere if it's even around still. It's a temporal trophy, folks. You might have got a trophy for being the best businessman, or you might have got a trophy, an Oscar award or a Juno award. Those rewards pale in comparison, honestly, to what's in store for you. Some people, their career is, oh, if I could just win an Oscar award, that's their destination. If I could just make a million, that's my destination. If I could just get my company public, that's my destination. Or if I could just whatever... Folks, there's something bigger. Really? (laughs) When we get to heaven, really, we stand before him. And you don't have some famous actor giving you an award. You don't have some famous businessman giving you an award. You don't have some famous politician giving you an award. You don't have the queen. You have Jesus, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords presents you with a reward for the way you ran. That's what Paul saw. And when he was going through the hard times and the jails and the beatings and the tough times of being a follower of Christ, he said, I know what I'm running for. Yeah. I'm not on course, though, for my message, so we'll keep plowing away here. Look at Philippians chapter 3. It's in your notes, verses 12 to 14. Is it not that I've, it's not that I've already reached the goal, have already completed the course, but I run to win That which Jesus Christ has already won for me. Brothers and sisters, I can't consider myself a winner yet. Then look at this part of the verse. But this is what I do. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride and I run straight toward the goal to win the prize that God's heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. I like that part. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride. The guy's in jail when he writes this. He's not writing it from some little cottage overlooking the lake. He's not writing it from his writing room. He's in a Roman jail. Nero's going to cut off his head soon. He's, he's in a tough place, and he writes, not looking back. Going to lengthen my stride. He's not saying, oh, well, it's so tough in jail. The food's terrible. The soldiers don't like me. Oh, it's me. And no. I love Paul. Are you getting this? The guy's like, no way. No way. Lengthen my stride. Gonna take bigger steps. Can't hold me back. Running for the prize. Woo! You know, if you're running a race, I I wasn't much of a runner in track, but I did run the mile, and I competed in that. And we didn't have a lot of time for coaching, but my coach taught us a few things. I never did break the four-minute mile. I thought maybe one day I could do, be a Roger Bannister and break the four-minute mile. And I got down to four minutes and 20 seconds, but that was as good as I could get. And others are obviously better than that. But that, that was my best. And I did win a couple things here and there as a high school student for running. But they said, you know, when you get to the last lap, on your way home towards the finish line, you just give it a final kick. And runners, will, you know, the, if they're a marathon runner or a or a mile runner, whatever it is, when you see the finish line, you dig down deep, there's a little bit more you can give. And you just give yourself a kick. 
And uh, this is Paul. He sees the finish line, and he's not slacking off. He says, no, I've got a kick in me yet. I'm going to get, and, it, and he's thinking about that. You know, when you're running your race of life, instead of doing like the typical Canadian does, I'm going to retire here, I'm going to go traveling, I'm going to slow it down, and, you know, you just kind of go into this dullness zone. God didn't expect you to end up dull. I expect you end up strong. And I think in order to do that, there's things we need to do at any age of life to finish strong. So let me go through a couple of those things with you this afternoon yet while we have time. Direction was important. That was our first piece. Because, again, if you don't know where you're going to end up, if, when you go hiking, do you check your map a lot when you're hiking, especially if you don't know exactly the trail? When I travel with Cheryl, she'll have the GPS or the phone to make sure I take the right exits. We used to have maps. Remember maps? You go to the gas station, buy these big maps. You know, have to never fold it upright, but you could take them apart, but then it took a while to get them back together. But now, Gage, we just get on our phone. You know, if you lose connection, like, oh, what do I do now? I lost my internet connection. How do I find my way? Anyhow, we used to have maps. And, but when we're traveling, we keep going back and checking the map, right? And the map is the Word of God. You have to keep going back if you want to finish the race. Keep checking Make sure that you're centered. Make sure that you've got your course right to finish the course. Because if you get off track, it's very dangerous. You have an enemy out there who wants to wipe you out, and he comes in three major ways. John writes about this. He calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He attacked Jesus with that. Because it's the lust of the eyes was other kingdoms he tempted Jesus with. The lust of the flesh was make stone into bread. The pride of life was throw yourself from the pinnacle and God will rescue you. If you go to the way he tempted Adam and Eve, those three things were there. All of us, we have a desire for pleasure. We have a desire for power. We have a desire for possessions. And God put those desires there for us. Pleasure is not wrong to have leadership, to exude power. Those things aren't wrong. They're human. Otherwise, he wouldn't test Jesus with that. But Jesus was fully human, so he was tested on that. To have them is not wrong, but the enemy tries to twist them. He tested Adam and Eve before they ever sinned with that. And so he tries to twist us and test us in those areas. Again, that's why it's important we have the Word, why we memorize some scriptures, because when he comes to test us, we have to be like Jesus and answer with the word. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Folks, we're not memorizing the verses because we want to keep up with the kids and children's ministry. We're not memorizing the verses to, you know, have a little check on our spiritual conscience. Hey, I memorized some verses this year. This is life and death. This is us finishing the word, the, the race. Because when you're in the race and all of a sudden the enemy comes at you, we need to be able to have a response and know it is written. It is written. It has to be in our heart. He can only bring back to your remembrance what you've put in. So this exercise of being devoted to the Word this year is so we're equipped to finish the race and to finish the race strong. All right. There's a trail that goes from Manning, B.C., Manning Park, B.C., all the way down to Mexico. You want to go for a hike this summer? Take that hike. It's 2,600 miles long. It's called Pacific Crest Trail. You go up to 13,000 feet, down to sea level, up and down, up and down. 
And uh, in 2011, there was a guy by the name of Scott Williamson, and he did it in uh, 64 days. So that's 41 miles a day, not on the highway, up and down through the hills. There's a girl nine years of age, and she did the hike, uh, 2,600 miles. There was this professor, and he took his son on the hike. They didn't do the whole thing. They went from B.C. to California, but, I mean, that's still a long hike. And uh, it was was really, really challenging for them because they encountered bears. They encountered periods of isolation. For some of the hike, you're literally for days, no civilization around you. They ran out of food. There are times they ran out of water, uh, hordes of mosquitoes some weird campers, and there was all kinds of stuff on this trail. It's a picture of life, ups and downs, surprises, and, and a lot of people don't finish it. He did some stats uh, and studying before he went on the hike, and he found that 90% of the people that set out to do the hike don't, come finish, don't finish it, 90%. And that's because half of them don't even get started. They, they want to do it, and then they quit before they even get started. 40% quit once they're into the hike, so only 10% actually will go go through the hike. And he said, well, how do those 10% make it? How do they finish strong this big, long hike, 2,600-mile hike? And he said, the one thing, now this is really important for the message today, the one thing that they all agreed on is we will not quit. We will not quit. I don't care how high it is, how low it is, mosquitoes, bears, whatever. We, will, we are committed and we will finish the hike. And I think in our Christian life, we have to have that same kind of resilience and tenacity. I will not quit. I will finish this race. And I know there's going to be some challenges. I know the enemy might want to attack me, but I will complete the race. I'm going to run and I'm going to complete and I'm going to finish the course. Paul said, I have finished the course. And that, my friends, is how we know that golf is in the Bible. Because he finished the course. Likewise, we know tennis is in the Bible because Joseph served into Pharaoh's court. So I'm giving some deep biblical truths this afternoon that I'm sure you can appreciate. And we also know that David, the psalmist, was also a motorbike rider because he rode a triumph. His triumph could be heard throughout the land. He didn't drive a Harley, but he had a triumph. So there you go. I should stop here, but I have to give you one more. <laughs> there is also a truth that all New Testament Christians drive a Honda Accord because they were all in one accord in the upper room. So there you go. Now, I have to give you the Old Testament car as well. And, this, and you have to be older to get this one. But in the Old Testament, the saints drove a Plymouth Fury. I don't know if anybody remembers the car, the Plymouth Fury. But they drove the Plymouth Fury because God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in his fury. So there you go. You have Bible trivia this morning. Absolutely free, not in your notes, and not much to do with the message. And I'm running out of time. Uh, Number two, maintain your discipline if you're taking notes. We are point number two. And uh, discipline is so important for those that finish the race. You study any leader who finishes strong They all have this common denominator. There's a discipline in their life. What kind of discipline? Physical discipline? Absolutely. Physical discipline is really important because we find that if you discipline your body, it leaks out into other areas of your life, good or bad. If you don't discipline your body, you'll find that people become undisciplined in other areas of your life. And that's why it's important to start disciplining yourself earlier on in life. Now, if you're under the age of 47, 
this is an important point. Because what they found, people that study, people that finish the race, if they cheated on it in the 20s and 30s, they get in their 50s and 60s, and they have a very difficult time making up for what they didn't have earlier on. If they didn't discipline their mind earlier, when they get later on in life, the stuff begins to leak out. If people were dealing with bitterness, unforgiveness, when they're younger, they can kind of put it behind them. But when you get older, it just kind of leaks out. You get older people, and some are just happy. They're joyful. They're full of love. That's just who they are. And the next person, they're older. They used to, you thought, man, they, they were nice people. They get older. They're cranky. They're contentious. They're miserable. They're hard to be around. They looks like they slept in a postal upside down and drank vinegar or something. They're just, what, what's with them? That didn't just happen when they hit later in life. It's what was going on in their head prior to that. There was undisciplined life beforehand. If I discipline my body and say, body, you're going to do these exercises. It doesn't want to do the exercises because discipline isn't fun. That's what this verse in Hebrews says. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But those who've been trained by it will, lead, will end up on the right path. And when I tell my body, body, you are going to exercise. Then later on, I want to do something. My body thinks, you know what? He makes this exercise every day. I may as well just go along with it. Because discipline in one area spills over to the other areas of your life. So it's important. Disciplining your mind is important. Take every, don't, don't forget that word, every, every thought captive to the beings of Christ. That's obedience. And if we train our minds in that, people that finish the race strong are careful with what's going on here. Bill Hybels is a great leader. He's in the last half of his life, and he's doing some of the best work of his life. Some of the best work. You don't have to peak in your life in your 30s or 40s. You can do some of the best work of your life in the last half of your life. But you've got to lay the groundwork for it. And they, he was sharing one time, he says, how I have to, when I go through my day, so often during the day, I'm saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I take that thought captive. I will think on those things which are pure and true and lovely. And I'm doing that sometimes 100 times a day. And somebody said, Bill, come on, be real with us. We, are, we know you're a great leader. Surely you're not doing that every day of your life. You don't go through that. He goes, you have no idea. Every day. I've got to take my mind, and I have to do that. I could not accomplish what I've accomplished. I couldn't stay strong. I can't finish the course unless I am very disciplined in what I'm thinking. Discipline your emotions, discipline your body, discipline your mind, and live a disciplined spiritual life. People that finish strong are disciplined. And uh, it's not easy, but it leads to something, and that is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Wow, we are running out of time. Discipline is self-control. Hmm. We could focus on that. Um, Paul gives a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. Again, metaphor of running is used. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prizes is temperate or disciplined in what? All things. Sometimes Christians say, well, I'm just going to be disciplined in my devotions. That's very good, but it's not enough. It's disciplined, temperate in all things because those other areas spill over and they affect your, 
we're, we're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit, but they're not isolated from one another. They all affect each other. If I hurt physically or if I'm really tired, had a really long day, and I'm just exhausted, isn't it hard to pray? Isn't it hard? Because that zone affects the other zone. They're, they're all tied together. So Paul's saying if you want to run the race, you have to be disciplined or temperate in all things. You're disciplined here today. I know you're disciplined because it's Sunday afternoon and you could be walking through Stanley Park or you could be having a nap or you could be watching a sports game or you could be shopping. But I know you're spiritually disciplined because you're here. So turn around and give somebody a high five for being spiritually disciplined this afternoon, all right? Hey, you're spiritually disciplined, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Way to go. Oh. Here's an interesting, well, I, don't, I know time's going away, but this is an interesting stat I'm going to throw out to you. And this, again, came from a guy named Gordon McDonald, this great pastor and leader and writer. He did a lot of coaching, and he's, uh, I know his age. He's probably in his 70s now. But he said, this is really interesting. He said, I found out that it's in the 40s when people will hit a wall. We often talk about midlife crisis. Marathon runners hit a wall, right? You all say, really hard to push through this. And there's seasons in our life we hit this wall. But he said, I found that there's an age. At 47, he says, I can give you the age when people hit a wall, especially guys at 47. He says, and the reason why is because at that point, your character, what you did, your integrity in your 20s and 30s really begins to show up at that age, mid-40s, 47. Because at that point, he says, I have men especially come up to me and women, and they say, I'm feeling trapped. I'm disappointed. I thought my marriage would be better. I thought my career would have taken off by now. It's not what I thought. And I don't feel like I got enough time to change it. I can't go back to school. I can't get married again. Ah, what do I do? And they just feel like they're going to crash. And some of them go sideways. And our, our, our world is littered with people that resorted to something else to get them through that. That's why you got to do the hard yards earlier on. So I'm speaking to those that are under 40 right now. Do the hard yards. The hard yards are discipline, and you will reap, folks, mega benefits later on in your life. Sometimes when I see young people, and they're not disciplined in their eating habits, they're not disciplined in their exercise, they're not disciplined in their thought life, they're not disciplined younger, so a part of me just goes, oh. I still feel for you because when you get to that 47 beyond, you're going to try to reach back for something, but it's not going to be there. And you can't go back and relive your 20s and 30s. Do not despise the days of your youth, the Bible says. Whew, I'm preaching to somebody this afternoon. Excuse me for making you feel uncomfortable, but I'm trying to help you finish the race strong. Yeah. You don't want to limp out, right? You want to finish strong. The finish line's coming. Heaven's waiting for you. This is, this, this is not our home. Planet Earth is not our home. We are foreigners. We are journeying through. This life will pass for all eternity. We'll be with him. Paul challenged the readers over and over again. Run strong. I am running strong. All right. Oh, man. We are. The memory verse, by the way, is uh, in your notes somewhere. A good man's steps are ordered by the Lord, okay? So circle that. I gave it to you. Good man's steps ordered by the Lord. 
Uh, discipline is continual learning. Keep studying. Keep learning. People that finish strong are readers. And there's no excuse today. We've got all kinds of e-books. We've got all kinds of, we have Amazon. We have, you got chapters. You've got a bookstore downstairs. We have the Bible online. Can I say it again and again? Keep reading. Where you will be next year, down the road, how you're doing is dependent upon who you hang out with and what books you're reading and what you're putting into your mind. So just keep learning, keep growing, and it's a key in many ways, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to finish the race strong. Wow, I am commitment. Uh, did I mention that point? Be totally committed. That's one thing. Remember doing that hike? Just be committed. I will finish. Cortez landed on the shores of Mexico. It lands there. He's got 600 men, 16 horses, and he's going to conquer Mexico. Everybody has failed. How is he going to do it? Gets all the guys on the beach and gives them a big talk. Then he turns around and he says, burn the boats. Burn the boats. Alexander landed in Persia, wanted to conquer them. They're outnumbered. He says, either we die or we're going back in Persian boats. Make up your mind, but burn the boats. That's commitment. Paul was totally committed to the cause. And likewise, when we run the race, there's that type of commitment that's needed if you want to finish the race. Uh, number, maintain your faith. I think I talked about that through the message, hopefully, right? Stay in prayer, <laughs> stay in fellowship. We covered some of that stuff. We fight the enemy. We covered that. Be sober-minded. Yeah, you have an adversary. And uh, I hate to tell you this this morning, but I got to let you know this. You have a target on your back. And as much as you have a personal relationship with God, there's an enemy who personally would like to bring you down. And you have got to be sober-minded, vigilant, on the alert. Every day when you get up, you have to make a choice. I am going to run strong today. I am aware that there's an enemy after me. I am aware that I am a sheep. God didn't call you a bear. He didn't call you a mountain lion. He called you a sheep, okay? I know it's not very complimentary, but anyhow, we got called sheep. And the way we get through this... Folks, this is, now I'm talking to the, the choir because you're all in church today, but if you try to wander off as a sheep and run through this race, you are easy pickings for the enemy, and he will pick you off. He's very good at it. He's been doing it for years, and if you're not tied in with a life group, plugged into church, plugged into prayer, you're an easy target. Takes you down. But if you're here like this, this is God's design, he is very hard for him to take you down. And so that's huge. Uh, man, here, here, I, I got so much good stuff. Sorry. Can I, can I just slip this in there really quick? I learned this this past week because I was at a meeting. I thought this was very interesting. A guy by the name of Dr. Roberts who studies mind and studies, he's a spiritual uh, leader, but he's also a physical doctor, a uh, 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 physical doctor. He's a MD and he studies the mind, and so forth. And he said something that was very interesting. He said, if you can resist temptation they've proven for seven minutes, you're over it. Seven minutes. That, that's kind of the, the, the magic number. Seven minutes. So if you're tempted, you think, seven minutes. So he says, what I do, I just tell the enemy, not now. I know I just have to wait seven minutes and it's over. And it's over. seven minutes, I just I speak the word. Use the name of Jesus, and I know in seven minutes this thing's going to pass. 
I just got to give myself. So I thought, you know, it's, for me, it's, I, I like numbers. I've kind of got that analytical background. So, okay, seven minutes. I can hang in there for seven minutes. But the enemy doesn't want you to know that. He wants to think, oh, man, this is forever. And here's the other twist that he does. When you're tempted, you haven't done it, but you already feel dirty. And then he says, well, since you already feel dirty, you may as well jump in and get real dirty. That's, that's his scheme. He like, he said, but you haven't. Every, Jesus was tempted. We're all tempted. Temptation is not the sin. Temptation is we say, okay, I'm going to accept it, do it, and, and jump into it. But if you just for seven minutes said no, it's now seven minutes to two. I can wait seven minutes. No thanks, not going there. After about seven minutes, and I mean, this is not, I'm giving you, I can't have chapter and verse for this, but there is a principle that if you resist him, he will flee from you. Amen? Okay, I have got to quit this. All right, we talked about anticipating the reward. That's in your notes. Okay, let's, let's wrap up there this afternoon. You've been so patient to listen and to journey with me as we talk about finishing strong. Thanks so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.